0: All right. You're welcome, guys. uh, All right. So uh, you're thinking, why did he do that? Well, I just wanted to play some songs. So actually, all of those songs. are on my Spotify, I have a playlist. And the name of the playlist, anybody want to take a guess? (laughs) <laughs> you know, I keep saying that. Sooner or later, Ted, it's going to be the correct answer. Uh, yeah. Some of you are saying, oh, yeah, that's just what I was thinking the name of it was. And some of you in the back, you're thinking, I'm not sure I can read that. Sinsucht means longing. It's a word that C.S. Lewis taught me. Through his writings, he brings up sinsucht over and over he said it's a german word that means deep yearning longing ache i'll teach every fall in uh, in austria at a german um they speak english as well but a bible school and when i mention this word, they, they 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 all immediately grasp it we don't know the word but we know the concept every one of us has a zinsucht deep within us it's a deep thirst, it's a deep longing, it's something that Lewis said accompanied him his entire journey. When he was six years old and he was standing outside, his family moved to, if you are a Lewis fan, uh, the Little Lee, the house that he moved to when he was six years old, he was looking in the distance at the Castlereagh Hills and he said, those, those hills evoked something in me that they would not satisfy. And through his journey of abandoning the church and moving into atheism and the occult and all sorts of other experimentations, he said his zinsucht was accompanied. him. then when he was climbing out of that and he became an agnostic again, and then a, a, a deist, and then a theist, and then a follower of Christ becoming what he referred to as the most reluctant convert in all of England, he said, my Sinzucht accompanied me the whole way. And continuing on throughout his life was central to his walk with God, tracking with that ping that was going off inside him. In fact, he referred to it. I was doing a, had a study break in Oxford and used bookstores are something that my wife gets very concerned about because when we walk by, I've got to walk in. I don't know if it's the, the mildew that I'm addicted to or what, but I, I went in. I found a book that I did. It's a book. Of, it said Poems by C.S. Lewis had a pretty brilliant publicist, I guess, that came up with that creative title, but uh, I didn't know he had a book of poems. I opened it up, started thumbing through, found a poem called Vowels and Sirens. And in it, he describes the music that we are born remembering and that we're always trying to trace it to its source. And the, the gods are beckoning us, but the sirens don't let us trace it to the source. It's something there it's based on Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 10, 11, I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race, and he's made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the heart of church people. Now, he set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Every human heart, every imago day, every image bearer has eternity in their heart. And this is a phenomenal description of the impact of the fall. We can still see beauty, even though this is a fallen world and people are capable of great creativity and laughter and ingenuity and acts of compassion, but also capable of immense evil. But everyone has that ping, that music that they're born remembering, that singsu, that eternity that's in their heart. But you can see that here's the impact of the fall, though. No one can fathom what God has done from from beginning to end. So they have the question. We all have the questions. We just don't know the answers. We don't know where to go with that. The reason I call that playlist Zinzucht, and it's it's. Four or five hours long. I've added to it over time, and uh, the majority of those artists are not believers. There are a couple of them that that I know are, and there are others. There there are other artists that might be, and I just don't know it. But those artists are image bearers, and what art does is it acts as a hand that comes up to the shutter of my heart, opens up, and enables me to articulate things that otherwise was having difficulty articulating. If you are, if you are, uh, all of you are creative, all of you are creators, all of you are makers, but not uh, all of you might be artists, but if you are, uh, make sure you fan that gift aflame, because it's a, it's, it's a great gift to have people that not only know the the questions, but also can begin to articulate the answers in their art. But all of those artists, every one of those songs is dealing with longing in some way, shape, or form. Every one of those songs is dealing with sin is dealing with yearning now when i talk about longing i'm not i'm not referring to the longing to be an nba basketball player or a concert pianist or the ceo of my company or this or that i'm referring to longings such as this is not where we go significant things like for significance and intimacy and love and identity and dignity and security and meaning and wholeness acceptance, purpose, shalom, connection, impact, influence, destiny, goodness, truth, beauty, belonging, joy, justice, triumph, freedom, resolution, the list goes on and on and on. There is not a human being that doesn't have these longings in his or her deep within their hearts. Now, for you, it could be that purpose and influence are right there and then for you it could be intimacy or identity we fluctuate we're not all we're not dealing with all we're not all dealing with all of these longings to the same degree but there are different times in our journey that they raise their head and this is not a list that is for christians or or, or, or unbelievers it's for all of us and tragically often within the church you don't see a whole lot about that. But I'll tell you this, Hollywood knows this list. You have never seen a movie and been impacted by a movie that didn't address one of those. These are longings that are from the, from the garden. Now, they've been hijacked by our sin nature, and Paul refers to them as deceitful desire. So these great longings can then uh, uh, trick us into with with deceitful desires, and they can become idols. Uh, somebody that is uh, pursuing to fulfill the, the, the difference is not whether we have the longings, the difference is how we seek to fulfill them. And that's where sin comes to play. That's where our misguided natures come to play. But let's say security, some if somebody is uh, embezzling money from their company or stolen, it could be that security people that move down from marriage to marriage to marriage. It might be identity, it might be intimacy. A powerful thing to do is take a sheet of paper and write down your besetting sins. And some of you are saying, I will do it at invisible ink. Uh, But if you're really a small, write down on on one column, uh, these are the things that I'm struggling, these are the idols that I'm dealing with. And as a companion on the other side, say so this is the longing that i think that sin is trying to satisfy but it's doing it inappropriately it's like an idol idols promise hey i'll give you meaning i'll give you truth i'll give you beauty i'll give you intimacy but instead they they, they enslave us and the reason i'm saying that is so often i talked a little bit about this this morning our kids need to see a level of vibrancy in the, within our embrace of the gospel. And to uh, a superficial engagement with my longings will lead to a superficial engagement with the gospel. And oftentimes what happens, and I do some stuff with, with younger people, what happens during that, right now the statistics are between 66 and 72%, somewhere in there depending on the year, of kids who grow up in church abandon the church by the time that they're 30. And one of the reasons is they start paying attention to their longings in ways they never have before, but they're misguided by a secular, a secular culture and a secular academy, university that leads them down the path of, that is, it's, it's tragic. What will take place in those moments if, if a young man or woman only has a superficial understanding and engagement with the gospel? That's no contest for a deep, significant engagement with longing. Does that make sense? So if, so, if, so if somebody goes deep with their longings, I say go deep as you need to, just go as deep with the gospel. Don't do the, uh, I, I said this one time and I'm embarrassed at how recently I said it and so it'll reveal my, my age, but I said don't show me, don't, don't try to companion those deep longings with a flannel graph gospel. People say flannel graph? What's a flannel graph? I said, well, it's It was high tech before electricity. Um, You want to companion both of them together. So this morning, we talked about this woman named Mary that hit the pause button and was still. And she knelt at Jesus' feet, and she was pliable. We call part one stillness and we call part two submission tonight briefly. And then we'll address a little bit more on, on Wednesday. We're going to call part three scene. see, there you come to go Lake and you learn German, but scenes better be part of my times. It's not a matter of doing devotions. My sons, they knew don't ever say I got to go do my devotions. Boy, that sounds so exciting. It's, I want to have some time with God. I want to, you're saying, well, didn't you have your son's do devotion? Some of you are looking at me. It's okay. Yes. But have that quiet time, that prayer time modeled after Mary. She was not just going through motion. She was tracking with Jesus on, on deep levels. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. Listening to what he said. She was listening. Uh, Several years ago, I'm on the board of um, a ministry I called International Arts Movement. Uh, It's it's this Makoto Fujimura's ministry, and we've been friends for a number of years. I was in New York, and I... uh, checked into my hotel it was a tuesday afternoon i'd flown actually from florida and i was dead tired it was three or four in that afternoon and I had a meeting that night and i was thinking they're not that are, they're not enough five-hour energies that are going to get me through tonight uh and so i, I just kind of stumble up to the check check-in counter at this hotel and the woman said uh he, how are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm pretty tired. And she says, Oh, we can take care of that. She was making small talk. She said, If I could have your driver's license and your credit card. So she looked at my driver's license and she said, You're Matthew you Heard. And I said, I am. And when I said, I am, no kidding. Bells went off. Confetti came down from the ceiling. Employees that I had not noticed who were starting to gather, they were they were applauding me. And then I, I'm, I, it's one of these, I'm tired. I'm thinking, what is happening? And I look over and there's a camera crew over here. And this guy comes on the other side of the counter next to the woman who was checking me in. And he says, uh, Matt Herd, congratu- Matthew Hurd, congratulations. This is the 25th anniversary of our hotel. And you just won two tickets to tomorrow night's performance of Billy Joel at Madison Square Garden. I said, are, are, I'd never won anything in my life. Are you serious? And uh, so, but then I realized the big Billy Joel fan and our family uh, is Arlene. And I'm thinking, how am I going to tell her, hey, honey, guess what? I had a great time in New York. I went to see Billy Joel. Uh, So I called her up and we'd just become empty nesters. I said, okay, let's give it a try. I called her up and said, hey, honey, we're empty nesters. We can be spontaneous, right? And she said, "Uh, what are you talking about? I said, well, I just won two tickets to Billy Joel. I've already gotten you a free ticket with United with Miles. You're leaving tomorrow morning from Denver at 7 o'clock and... uh, Take a, an Uber down to the hotel and we're going to dinner and the, the Billy Joel concert tomorrow night. And she said, That's tomorrow. I said, I know that, but we got to be spontaneous. And um, so that was who I wanted to talk to. I wanted to tell my sons as well because they were discipled in Billy Joelness by Arlene going to soccer games, listening to all his greatest hits. But actually, the first guy I thought of calling was the guy I had a meeting with that next night. And I was thinking, how am I going to explain to him how God's will has changed <laughs> for me? But okay, he was fine. He said, all right, do it. So we show up at the concert, Madison Square Garden, packed house. I'm looking up, I'm walking up to people saying, my ticket's free. Is your ticket free? My ticket's free. So we sit down and we go through these songs that I have sung for, I, I mean, a long time. And this is when my scene playlist started. It's because in the midst of this, and I don't know, Ryan, do we still have the ability to do this? Sorry, I didn't, I didn't tell you I was going to do this. I didn't know I would. You ready? Um, this is a song that I, I'm going to see if I can find it here. I, I need to put this. If somebody knows how to put a playlist into uh, alphabetical order, let me know later. I want you to just take in consideration everything I've just said about Sinso. There's a song that Billy Joel has sung. I've heard this song probably a hundred times, including elevators. It's got a lilt to it. And great art sometimes will companion music and lyrics that uh, are, are, instead of the same, they're opposites. And I want you to see if you know this. I got one more book there. All right, yell it out if you know it. We already know. What? Billy Joel, great. Calibrate, right? Billy Joel, Calibrate. Uh, all right. See if you, if you can give me the name of this song. Oh, River of Dreams. Uh, Kendall or, or hard, hard copy? Great. Oh, thank you. I knew you were going to do that. Do you guys recognize this song? I mean, if I'm going to do an interpretive dance, this is a song to do it to, but I'm not going to. We were in the concert, Madison Square Garden, I don't know what it was, I'm listening to him, and then all of a sudden, and maybe it was because it was live, I said, did he really just say that? We can keep going sorry I Are you kidding me? That lilt of that song totally disguises the depth of the scene. look at that, he says, from the mountains of faith to a river so deep, I must be looking for something, something sacred I lost. Even though I know the river is wide, I walk down every evening, I stand on the shore and I try to cross to the opposite side so I can finally find out what I've been looking for. In the middle of the night, I go walking in my sleep through the valley of fear to a river so deep. I've been searching for something taken out of my soul. Something I would never lose, something somebody stole. I don't know why I go walking at night, but now I'm tired and I don't want to walk anymore. I hope it doesn't take the rest of my life until I find what it is that I've been looking for. There came a moment in your life. You know, Billy Joel, he says later in that song... uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not a man of faith. You know, I, it's just something distant. But he's honestly articulating and one of the beauties that you and I have as followers of Jesus is we can grasp that sense and companion it to Jesus. Now, it's not a one-time thing. It's daily, daily engaging with my longings and celebrating the beauty of the sufficiency of the gospel in the midst of it and actually listening. What if, I, I, I don't know where Billy Joel is, I've heard him interviewed a few times, but what if he sat at the Lord's feet listening? We've all got the scenes. So, in fact, the, Jesus said, my, the listeners are my sheep. And so, as a sheep, I come before him and I, to calibrate to adjust my journey, to get it refocused, to get it re-energized. Yes, I'm still, yes, I'm submitting to him and becoming pliable in the presence of his lordship, but I'm becoming authentic, regarding, even more authentic today, perhaps than I was yesterday regarding my sin, regarding my pain, regarding my hopes, regarding my dreams. Holy Spirit, would you give me insight? May I hear Jesus? May I listen to his voice? And all who've come before me, Jesus just says, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep, have not listened to them. So when I calibrate, I'm coming to the feet of Jesus and saying, it is your voice above all others that I care about. I'm not gonna deny my scenes, I can bring it here. In fact, you've authored this. You've said, I've put in you a hunger for significance but I'm going to beckon you to a purpose that is beyond your wildest dreams. And you go down that list and begin to process them over and over. And in that same passage, he says, people come along and try to trap my sheep. They try to steal and to kill and destroy. But I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. And the word that he uses there. I, I, I heard this long ago. It was kind of a super spiritual thing. It's not a super. This is central to Jesus's mission. Discipleship, that was his strategy. His mission is bring the cosmos back to life. And every human being is born dead in their what? Ephesians 2. Dead in our transgressions and our sins. But he has made us alive. So we're born with, I mentioned it this morning, thought I'd show, we're born with, at the bottom you say bios, biological life, Suke, every human being has that. But in the garden, God said, there's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And what did Adam and Eve do? He, he, He gave them instructions. They said, we don't need to be God to be a fulfilled human being, to be normal human beings. And so they rebelled. We continued to do that. And they were exiled from the tree of life. They, what was the penalty that God said? It wasn't a punitive thing. It was just, you can't have life without me. You can't have Zoe without me. You disobey me, you will die. You will surely die. The enemy came along, that thief who wants to steal and kill and destroy. He says, you shall not surely die. He's still saying that. And every time you and I sin, we're taking that lie. Oh, I won't die. And of course, as followers of Jesus, we don't lose our salvation, but we encounter the ramifications of death, the wages of sin, That's death, even though we're followers of Jesus still, all of that that weight of our sin comes upon us. Jesus says, I've come that you might have zoe. The thief in the garden came to steal and kill and destroy. The rebellion happened, but you are still my creation. You're still my image bearers. You still have seen Zook. It's there. But the solution, the answer to your thirst is me. The answer to your thirst is my Zoe. He says in John 10:10, 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The word he uses to the full is the, the root is parasas. It means abundant, extravagant, over the top, lavish. It is equipping human beings to live in a way that no other human being could look. The, the moment that you trusted Christ, you look the same on the outside as you did five minutes before. But a transformation happened from heaven's view, all of a sudden you came alive. And so did you, and so do you. Now that's a status that we all have. Every one of us who are followers of Jesus, we're equally alive in Christ. We're never gonna gain more of the spirit than we already have. We're never gonna be more alive than we are. But a, a, a thing that distinguishes all of us is the degree to which we are experiencing that life in every arena of our journey the fullness of that life, walking with Jesus in intimacy. He told this woman at the well who had a zinzuch that caused her to have five husbands. And the guy she's living with now is not her husband. We don't know all the cultural implications and background of why she was divorced. Did they die or whatever? But bottom line, Jesus saw right through so he had already told her in verse 10, he said, if you knew, if you knew who you're talking to, he could give you living water, zoe water. And he comes along and says, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Now, when you see that word, I mentioned something this morning, one of you commented on it. Eternal life is not a synonym for heaven. Before you get the heresy shout out, Eternal life is present in heaven in an undiluted, undeterred, absolutely pure and perfect way. We will experience eternal life in heaven. But eternal life is not synonymous with heaven because we experience, we, 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 we enter into eternal life right now. In John chapter 5. Jesus is very truly amen, amen, emphasis, emphasis. I tell you, whoever hears my word, believes him who sent me has eternal life at that moment, will not be judged, but is crossed over from the realm of death to the realm of life. So the question is not whether you're alive, but whether you're living like you're Zoe alive. The question is not whether I'm alive, but whether I'm living like it. And that has a lot to do with me getting this wall between the secular and the sacred out and seeing the Lordship of Jesus cover every aspect of my life, every aspect of my journey and to not equate eternal life with heaven is an adjective and a noun eternal and life we focus typically in our evangelical circles on the adjective the forever the quantitative part appropriately so we need to do that but we need to equally focus on the zoe part the noun it's quantity and quality one time i was Uh, backpacking up in the upper peninsula of Michigan where everyone calls themselves youpers so I asked a youper I came out of the woods about three after about three days said where can I get something to eat and they said there's his diner and a couple miles down the road and sure enough it was a diner it's like it, it it come right out of back to the future you know it was metallic on the outside looked like a a rotting Airstream trailer and I I went in and jukebox was playing I mean I it I looked for Michael J Fox actually to see if he was there because it was these burgundy uh, booths burgundy uh, false leather kind of oh, what's the word I'm looking for not faux leather that's way too fancy for me oh yeah that night You'd sit at them, you'd stick, you couldn't slide. You know, you grab the menu, let go. It wouldn't let go of you. It was too greasy. The, the waitress came up. She had a dirty apron. She was chewing gum. And she says, well, you have. And I was trying to loosen her up, and I just be friendly. I said, let me tell you, I've been, I've been backpacking for three days. I'm not interested in quality. I'm interested in quantity. And she didn't miss a beat. She says, well, you've come to the right place. And when the food came issues on the truth there was a lot of it but it was gross and i've talked with people on airplanes or wherever have you ever had somebody who's not a believer say why would i want to live forever I don't want what I'm experiencing now to just go on and on and on. And part of the the background is that is they just focus, and could it be because of our presentation of the gospel, we're just focusing on the adjective and not enough on the noun. We're not unpacking what does Zoe look like on a daily basis? What is this dance of the gospel with my yearnings, with my longings? Not Jesus coming along. Remember, this comes after the submission, me submitting before his lordship. It's not me coming along saying, Jesus follows. Follow me, help me out with my longings. He says, No, I'm going to take your longings and I'm going to transform them for my purposes. It's God who loved the world so much, and He loved you. That is a broken image bearer. He said, I want to love you, I don't want to love you deeply. I used to, when I lived in Chicago, planted a church there years ago and would play softball in the summer and darts in the winter for a bar down in Old Town. I was their token theological preacher guy. None of them were believers at first, and but they uh, were comfortable enough with me, thankfully, and we just journeyed together. They had asked big questions. One time we were, uh, it was, d- darts league was on Monday nights and we are uh, at the bar looking at Monday Night Football, and the, the camera came up, focused on the guy holding up the sign. And my, my friend, he hit me. He didn't just tap. He slapped me backhanded. And I looked at him, and he says, and I won't give you the direct quote because it's, it's Gold Lake, but I, he said, what the heck is John 316? <laughs> I said, it's a Bible verse. He said, well, I know that, but what's it it say? I said, you really want to know? He said, yeah, I wouldn't be asking. I said, it says that God wants to love you back to life. That prompted discussions of a zinsucht caliber. In which he was able to come to Jesus with some deep, deep concerns and aches and longings. And I'm looking at my clock, and we're going to continue this. But I'm going to give you one more verse to kind of think about. And then I'm going to give you a prayer. If you don't think this is important, ask John. He said, let me tell you why I've included what I've included under the Holy Spirit's inspiration. Uh, these things have been written, John 20, 31, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. How many purposes does he give? How many reasons does he give? Not a a rhetorical question. Read that verse. How many reasons do you want? These things have been written for how many reasons? Got an and in there, so that should give you a hint. Number one, believe in, in Jesus as Messiah, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So there's that punctilier belief of salvation, of trusting Jesus as Messiah. And then there's that ongoing trusting him, believing the gospel on a daily basis where I'm engaging with my sinzucht underneath with, with pliable, a pliable heart before his lordship and listening to what he says to me about my journey and a journey in which I say I want significance. For example, the world says to get significance, you do this, get this title, get this amount of money. What does he say? You want to be significant, become a servant. Take up your cross and follow me. So I'd encourage you in your quiet times, in your devotional life, To the feet of Jesus. Still yourself. Discipline it. And then be submissive as Plato. Mold me, shape me, Jesus. But you're not just doing it. I'm not just doing it in a religious sense. Going through religiosity and going through the motions. I'm doing it deep from the heart. What does Jesus say in Matthew 15? These people, they, they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Therefore, in vain do they worship me. Engaging my heart is absolutely vital. When I come before, and so when Mary was kneeling before him and actually listening, he said, this is one of my sheep. She wasn't listening for religious instruction. She was listening for life instruction. She was listening for what she and all of her companions started calling the Evangelion, the good news, good news that is to go throughout the world in places like Russia and Gold Lake. And Jesus, all the while, is using us as his tool to beckon one another back to life. And once we're alive to, on a daily basis, experience life in His name. And so I'll give you this to chew on. Part A, I'll call it orthodoxy. You can call it number, but it's the right belief. It's necessary. Part B, vibrancy. Purpose B, vibrancy. Some of you asked me about my statement this morning that too often our kids see our orthodoxy but not our vibrancy. Could it be that we're not coming before the feet of Jesus with our sins sucked in tow and able to therefore articulate with our kids authentically this is what's going on in our, our lives. Mom and dad, we're dealing with identity issues or we're dealing with whatever it might be. It's not one or the other, it's both and. It's not vibrancy without orthodoxy, but too many of our kids are not seeing our vibrancy and as a result, they're wanting to have nothing to do with our orthodoxy. I studied years ago with a gentleman named Francis Schaefer in the last two years of his life in Waymo, Switzerland, and he used a phrase I've never forgotten called dead orthodoxy. And he says, the church's greatest enemy is not from without. It's from within. And right now, we are entering a a, a period that we have never encountered in our culture. But the greatest danger right now is still not on the outside, but it's within the church. Will we actually live the gospel? Because if we don't, too often, we just speak orthodoxy to the unbelievers in our lives, and they don't listen, so what do we do? We just scream it louder. How's that working for us? But what about if we proclaim the orthodoxy while we're modeling the vibrancy? And even this morning, as our friends from Russia were sharing, we were saying, these guys are contagious. There's a vibrancy about them. And that vibrancy is what paves the way for a proclamation of orthodoxy. So in my time, my quiet time in my devotional life, when I'm calibrating, I'm coming before Him, kneeling and submitting and bringing my saints up to Him. And I'm not just doing it out of a desire to deepen my orthodoxy. I'm doing it out of a desire to deepen my orthodoxy so that my vibrancy can be there. Too many evangelicals, we know orthodoxy and vibrancy, we know the lyrics of the gospel, but not the music, and therefore there's no dance. And Jesus says, I've come that you might dance That you might live abundantly, not with a smile pasted on, living abundantly, living life with a capital L involves engaging fully with the pain of a broken world and the calling of God in his purposes. But it starts at his feet always say, Jesus, I submit before you as clay. And I bring you my sins, my longings. I'm going to read a prayer that I came across years ago. And we're going to close with this. It's by Francois Henelon. He's a French priest. And I'd like to read this. while I'm reading it, maybe get a start. And pick a couple of these phrases and do it yourself. I think it's four slides, just in case you're timing it, and then we'll be done. This is a scene of prayer. Tell God all that is in your heart. As one unloads one's heart's its pleasures and its pains, to a dear friend, tell him your troubles that he may comfort you. Tell him your joys that he may sober them. Tell him your longings that he may purify them. Tell him your dislikes that he may help you to conquer them. Talk to him of your temptations that he may shield you from them. Show him the wounds of your heart that he may heal them. Lay bare your indifference to good, your depraved tastes for evil, your instability, Tell them how self-love makes you unjust to others and how vanity tempts you to be insincere and how pride disguises you to yourself and to others. And he continues, he says, if you thus pour out all your weaknesses, your needs and troubles, there will be no lack of what to say. You'll never exhaust the subject. Blessed are they who attain to such familiar, unreserved dialogue with God. Jesus said, Mary has chosen what's good. And through the centuries, Luke speaks to us and said, may we choose the same thing. Let me pray for you and then we'll be dismissed. Jesus, I thank you for the hunger that's in these faces, these hearts. It's been, it, it's been fun, and I just celebrating some of the gift of music and some image bearers that have voiced things that are so relevant to the call of the gospel. May we be men and women who discern the times and discern hearts, and that's got to start with us being able to discern our own sins, our own longings. I thank you for every person here and I ask that you would enable honesty, deep honesty about hopes and dreams and disappointments and points of gratitude. And that there would be a sense of intimacy that comes out of calibrating this week that even long-term believers might not have known for a long time. I pray this. In the name of the one who is way and truth, but also Zoe. Amen. Amen.